Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture. We are a non-profit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This presentation and many others are available through our online library at instituteofcatholicculture.org and on our ICC app. Please view our upcoming schedule of live online events and engage with us on social media. For handouts, links, and further study materials, please visit this program's page on our website or app. Our speaker today was born in Palestine and ordained a Catholic priest in 1965. Archbishop Elias Shakur received a master's degree in Bible and Talmudic studies from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem and obtained a PhD in ecumenical theology at the University of Geneva. In 2006, he was consecrated as Archbishop of the Melkite Catholic Church of Haifa, Akko, Nazareth, and all Galilee, and retired in 2014. Archbishop Shakur has been nominated three times for the Nobel Peace Prize and is an internationally recognized author, speaker, and advocate for peace in the Middle East. We are delighted and very honored to have him back again with us at the Institute of Catholic Culture. Please join me in welcoming Archbishop Elias Shakur. Thank you. It's such a blessing to be with you again. It is evening here, but since we are together, whenever we are together, it's the starting of a new morning, a new hope, yes. a new courage to go ahead with life despite this overwhelming wave of violence, of atrocities like we experience right now. So I'm very honored, very pleased to be with you. May God bless you and help you to understand a little bit more than what I will say. I will just deal with two topics here. First, the visit of our mother Mary to Elizabeth, her greeting, the reply of Elizabeth, and the reply of Mary to Elizabeth. And then we will speak about this famous parable, the prodigal son, that I always say it should rather be called the compassionate father. So let us start with that. After asking the Holy Spirit to enlighten us all, so that we can go beyond the words to the Spirit and feel God's presence in us, between us, from each other, God is present to us. Thank you. Let me, before going deep into the parables, to reflect on one very important passage from St. Luke's chapter 139 to 66, which is about the visit of Mary to her kinswoman, Elizabeth, read with the eyes of Galilee Christians up till now. It is about the greeting of Mary, the welcome of Elizabeth, and the reply of Mary. Right after the Annunciation, the angel departed from Mary. The story begins right now. Mary, with haste, went into the hill country to a city of Judea, that city is called today Ankarim, just close to the Hadassah Hospital. Mary went with haste. Nobody ordered her to get up and 
with haste go to a far away distance of 180 kilometers. That's a very long distance. That was a very long distance from Nazareth. It is from her own will and free initiative that she went with haste to visit her kinswoman who was pregnant and in her sixth month, according to what the angel said to Mary, Behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth, now is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. You know that the son of Elizabeth will be John the Baptist. Mary did an act of mercy, an act of charity to Elizabeth. We also are invited to rise up, to go to the house of our neighbor, to give a witness of charity and of real mercy, to offer our assistance if needed. We are all called to get up, to move, to go ahead to our neighbor, to share with them the good news of the kingdom of God. It is our responsibility. Mary entered Elizabeth's house. It was a great surprise. And she greeted her. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the child leaped with joy in her womb. And Elizabeth exclaimed with loud cry. Imagine loud cry, not silently, but loud, so that the neighbors would say, here, there is something abnormal in the neighbor's house. This loud cry, my dear friends, has a meaning in Galilee. Whenever a guest comes from far away, the household, surprised and shocked out of joy, exclaims with loud cry, so that the neighbors hear what is going on in the house next door. What did Elizabeth say? That's what Elizabeth say. She did not read her greetings to Mary. She sang it. We sing our greetings. We sing our welcome. And I will try to do it a little bit, but not so much. She started singing, ah, we have. This is the... the, the, the word that would mean, behold, aweha, why is that granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Aweha, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of you thy womb. So should we do whenever we greet our guests so that our neighbors be inspired and notice that it is the Lord who is visiting them through the guests. It is the same attitude of Prophet Elijah, who used to remind us that God is his guide, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. Elizabeth continue. Ah, we are behold. Blessed is she who believed 
that there should be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary responded to the welcome from Elizabeth. Ah, we had it, she say. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Do you have ever the opportunity to repeat these words as if they were yours? My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Ah, for he has regarded his low estate of his kinmaiden. This is the humility of Mary. Ah, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This is a very, very important uh, word. Mary recognizes it's not because of her worth that the angel gave the annunciation. It's because God's name is holy, and he has chosen the small people, the poor one, to raise him. Awiha, and his mercy is on the, those who fear him. For generation and generation, he has done strength with his arm. And she continues, Awiha, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. As for the welcome and the reply of Mary, probably the close neighbors came in to greet the arriving guests. It's an invitation to share the gift that you have. Elizabeth invited the neighbors to share with her the arrival of Mary from Nazareth. All that remains formal. The encounter was that Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home, Nazareth. This tradition is still alive in the Palestinian Christian society up till now. During the wedding celebrations, baptism, and sometimes during funerals, we express, they express their sorrow and their grief with their joy. Remember, when the brother of the prodigal son returned back from field, he hears singing and rejoicing in his father's house. He wondered what was going on. So did my mother. Whenever my uncle came back from Jerusalem, to visit us in Upper Galilee, this is the way my mother expressed her joy and her gratitude to God. So did she do after my ordination. I invite you, brothers and sisters, to have a look on St. Luke's parables. The Lord wanted to teach us about the kingdom of God. He wanted to teach us to teach the crowd the spiritual truth about the kingdom of God with relatable stories. The message in those parables is the following. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. Just so I tell you, 
there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the very right meaning of the following parable. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angel of God over one sinner who repents and to put side by side the purpose of comparison taken from the daily life to convey spiritual truth. For example, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus wanted to emphasize love and mercy. You know the parable of the Good Samaritan. It is about a Jew traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. The way is in the desert. It is well known to be dangerous and perilous. In this parable, the Jew is understood being representing the chosen people, being under attack in the desert and abandoned on the side of the road. The New Testament says he was half dead, half alive, which means he was agonizing there while a Levite passed by. So the poor man, he did not approach him, although he was supposed to help him, but he did not. After a while, a priest passed by. He did not bother himself to inquire who is that man and what happened to him. He can be compared today to a settler assigned by passing by an agonizing Jew. He did not care. He might have thought another Palestinian terrorist. The Jew was in the hurry. The priest was in the hurry for some meeting in the nearby settlement. So the wounded one was without any worth for the priest. At that end, a Samaritan passed by. He's supposed to see him, but passed unbothered. A Samaritan, a marginalized human being, a bad guy. He is despised by the Jews. He is impure. One cannot expect any good coming from a Samaritan. Behold, the Samaritan saw the agonizing Jew. He was moved deeply. He saw a human being, a creature of God. He imagined his brothers, Samaritans, despised and hated by the Jews. He did not mind. He did not ask himself, who is this man on the side road? Is he a Samaritan or a Jew? He didn't mind who he is. He is a human being. He approached the poor Jew and gave him first aid, poured on his wounds vinegar and oil. Why vinegar? Because vinegar is a sterilizer. Why oil? It's to keep the, flu the insects from approaching to him and get his wound infected. The oil was keeping the wound clean from insects. It sterilizes the wound. He carried him on his donkey. Today, we would say in his Mercedes and brought him to the inn, meaning with our modern understanding to the hospital. 
he paid for for the end master and made sure that they will help him. He recommended him to the innkeeper, gave him money, and promised to give him more if it were needed on his return back. He did not mind who the Jew might be. He saw the human being, brother human being. And now I try to apply that to our situation as Palestinian Christians living in Israel without our will. That was our destiny. And we are living with Jews while we are watching our brothers and sisters being massacred, being killed in an atrocious way. And I say to my students, today we have to raise the flag of Christ in front of Muslims and in front of Jews and to tell them the solution for this very complicated problem is not the land, is not who owns the land. The land does not belong to the Jews nor to the Palestinians. The land belongs to God, and we have to learn to share the land together. That's why the flag we, we fly is love your enemy. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who annoy you. And loving the enemy does not mean to accept everything horrible that he does to us. It's to refuse that, but to never take revenge as he does against us. This is the key point, the newness of the New Testament. Who is the Jew on the side road? Half alive and half dead. That means agonizing. It is the chosen people, the people of God. And it might be the church persecuted and abandoned according to the Talmud, who is this strange Samaritan. It is the church, the Christians. It's me and you who are neither warm nor cold, but lukewarm. We are to be pitied if we hear that. He represents the Gentile nations, those considered the impure nations, those who are rejected from God's mercy. They are born impure and terrorists. They are to be avoided. They are not included in God's creation. They were demonized by the Jews, when in fact they are, they're in reality, compassionate people. And so the fallen Jew who was left alone, half dead, half alive, the Samaritan is the one who was compassionate to him. He became the role model of the religious Jew who wanted to know who is his neighbor. You. Go and do like Samaritan. Go and be a Samaritan. In conclusion, this is in order for the good Jew to be saved. He has to be to do like a Samaritan. This is one aspect about the newness of the New Testament. We are not to call impure what God created pure. They will be judged with their deeds, judged with their prejudices. All humans are holy in God's eyes. No one is impure. They were all born babies, equal in God's consideration. Go shine. God shines his light 
on good and on bad humans. I say to my students when I meet with them on Monday morning, I am an archbishop. It's a religious leader. But I am not born Christian, thank God. I don't know what about you Muslims. What about you Jews? What about you Christians? Were you born Christian, Muslim, or Jews? Or you were born like me? I was born a baby. And as a baby, I have the same dignity as you all. Indeed, the Samaritan is used by the Lord to show the reflection of good men. The Samaritan is the only one who says thank you to the Lord for healing him from leprosy. Where are the, ten other, the nine others? Only the Samaritan comes back to say thank you. All he wants is our safe return to the Father. The Samaritan woman became the first who announced that Jesus is the Messiah. And the Samaritans recognized that God is the Messiah. It's no longer because of your words that we believe. For we have heard and for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That reminds me of the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 1. That reminds me in the Christmas crib we, uh, we organized in our homes under the tree. We put the, all the, the animals and we put a cow and a donkey just beside Jesus, the, boy, the baby. Who is the mother who would tolerate that a cow or a donkey would breathe in the face of their, her newborn baby? No one. Why is there the animal are there? It's because they reflect the prophecy of Isaiah. I have made everything good for my people. I did not save anything that I did not give them. But the donkey knows his, his Lord, the cow knows his credit, and the Israel does not know his God. We have to pray for them. Let us, back, let us go back to the parable with which we started to start the parable of the good son, the prodigal son. The parable has to be called, rather, the merciful father. The father plays a main role in this story. Let us consider some of the details. Normally, the father in the family is the one who decides to buy and to sell, to give to his children part or none of his wealth. All the time, the father is alive. No one among his children has any right to claim any part of father's wealth. We are in front of a case where the younger child asks his father to give him what would be his part of the wealth, which means he asks his father to act as if he is dead. What an insult for this good father. But the father acts according to the wish of his son, as if he was dead. He divided his wealth and gave the young boy his portion from the inheritance. The father tolerated that he should act as if he were dead. The son takes whatever the father gave him and departed to a faraway country where the father is not known. They are all goyims, Gentiles, pagans. The son spends his money 
with friends and with dub in dubious ways. Soon his money is totally spent on bad relations. He was he has no money left. His friends abandoned him. He is hungry. Nobody came to help him. He looks for a job. No one gave him any job. He's hungry. His hunger is cruel. He would do any work available. Do what for do not forget that this child is a Jew. Nonetheless, a farmer, a Gentile, Goy, has agreed him to be employed to take care of his pigs, a Jew taking care of the pigs, a Jew shepherd of pigs, small salary, but he's still starving hungry. He wishes someone would give him a portion of what the pigs ate, but even that, nobody cared to give him any from the pig's food. That is where the young Jew ended to be less than a pig. The starvation is consuming him without any pity. What to do? Where can he find food to satisfy his hunger? He sat down on a rock, thinking he is remembering his father. After hunger, he remembers his father's wealth. Nothing can equal his father's generosity. He has plenty of food. Why don't I go back? I'm still his son. Why don't I return back to my father and tell him, Father, I have sinned to heaven and to you. Please accept me as not as your son, but as one of your servants. The son does not know what to say. He knows he does not deserve his fatherly mercy. He's not entitled to, to be called his father's son again. That's why he was ready to plead with his father to accept him to be one among his servants, one of his slaves. Oh, he is hungry. He wants to eat. Nobody cares for him. He better goes back, better converse to his father. He was confident his father will not throw him away. The son gets up and returns to his father. He, he recognized his father. He regretted what he, was, he has done. He is ready to recognize his unworthiness to be his, the son of his father. Meanwhile, the father is doing well. He yearns for his son. Is he alive or dead? I wish he could come back. I want him back. I want him alive, provided he comes back. Tears of grief were shed from his father for his son. His eyes have no more tears. Tears dried out from his eyes. He has almost become blind. He was sitting every morning in front of his house, wishing his son to be alive and to come back home. My son, where is he? How is he doing? Would I ever see him before I die? Meanwhile, the servants were working on the fields of the father. One day, while the father was sitting in front of his house, looking around, he saw someone coming from far away. His instinct was moved. It is a foreigner. Might he only be my son? The father rashes to the road. 
As soon as he saw the foreigner approached, the father recognized him. It is my son. He did not think twice. He rushed, hugged him, and surrounded him with both arms. The son started saying, Father, forgive me. I have sinned against heaven and against you. Please accept me back. He tried to continue, saying, accept me back as one of your servants. But the father interrupted him, saying to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes in his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and make joy. You notice that the father did not let the son continue saying, accept me like your slave. The father would never accept us to be his slaves. He created us to be his sons, to be with him, not to be slaves. They slaughter the fatted calf. For this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was loath and is found. They began to make joy. What a dramatic vision. And they started celebrating during dancing and making merry according to father's instruction. From now on, the young man, the people of Israel, has no more any role to play. They are accepted back. Games are done. God restored to him, to them, everything. Cleansed him, them. Gave him, them back, the official recognition and the original authority by preparing the fattened call and offering a huge meal to all the servants. Here was yet not the end. There is someone else who might have something to say. The elder son who was working in the fields. He has no clue what was going on in his father's house. He, the chosen people of God, was coming back home tired, even exhausted from farming in his father's field. And will he and while he was still far away, he heard the voice of jubilation and of joy in his father's house. He called one among the servants and inquired, what is happening in my father's house? What for this celebration and jubilation? He was wondering, did his brother came back dead? And his father is celebrating his return, the return back of the Gentiles, like close wedding party, and he felt pity. But he was told by one among the servants, your brother came back home, and your father is celebrating his, way, his safe return. Your father even slaughtered the fattened calf for his safe return back. Your brother. The elder son did not enter his father's house. He is taking side, angry against the father. What is he doing? Has he become senile to, to celebrate the safe return of his son who dilapidated his wealth with mean ways? Safe return, the Gentiles. Let us now come back to the father. Someone told him that his elder son is outside. 
refuses to enter the house. The father went out to welcome him. And, in, and the discussion between both was dramatic. It reveals to us how compassionate was that father and how he expects his elder son to consider with joy the safe return of his brother, the Gentile. The father came out and entreated him. He answered his father saying, behold, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a kid that I make merry with my friends. But this your son came who has devoured your wealth, living with harlots and killed for him the fattened calf. The father said to him, son, you are always with me and all what's mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and to be glad for this your brothers, not only this my son, your brother, he was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Here the parable is supposed to stop. We know much about the father. We know something about the son. Both were prodigal, the Gentiles and the chosen people. The father loves them all, his children, with compassion and mercy. Do we know where we stand? What kind of sons are we to the father? What kind of sons are we to our father in heaven? What kind of sons are we to our brothers and sisters? While the elder brother accused his father of doing so much for this your son, as he said, he did not treat the young brother as his brother, but this your son. While the father entreated the elder son, reconsidering what is happening for this your brother, he was dead and he's alive. He was lost and was fine. This is the story of the chosen people and their relation with God. It is our own story, dear friends. Who is the father? Who is our father? Not my father, but our father, who is compassionate and merciful. Before we stop here, I invite everyone who heard me read slowly and with much attention the parable of St. Luke 15, 11, 32 to situate himself. Now let me ask you, let me ask myself a few questions. To you and to me, at the same time, we are facing five kinds of persons. The compassionate father, the younger son, the prodigal, the older son, the one who was serving his father all the time, the servant saying to the elder son, your father, your father slaughtered the fatted calf, and ourselves are fifth. Where do we stand? Which role do we play in this parable? Who among these are we? Who am I? What role do I fill in this parable? I ask myself very often, who am I toward the Jewish people, toward the Jewish neighbor, toward the Jewish visitors? Am I a friend or a foe? This is an important answer, a question that to be answered 
Yes, I am his friend. The compassionate father is so special. He cannot pretend being him. He is too much for us, too holy, too perfect, too good. He is perfect and sits in perfection. We are not since we are sinners and exposed to sin. His ways are not our ways, and our ways are not his ways. The younger son, the prodigal one, aren't we playing the, the role in our life of the prodigal son? Are we the prodigal son with regards to our father, to our own dignity? Do you not ask God to give you, to give us, always, and add giving us from his wealth? Are you not considering yourself worth? Aren't we overestimating what we deserve as right when everything we have and we are is a mere gift from the generosity of the Creator? What do I want to do? What do you want to do with the talents given for free and gratis? Talents you received. Did you do what you are supposed to do with them? The elder son doesn't, or I don't, act like he did, refusing to enter the house of father because this your son, this my brother has come back. Is that not our reaction when we see someone or some people getting better or behaving with dignity and honor? We say to the father, this is your son. Don't we demonize people on this earth, communities, nations, because they don't think like us. There is similarity with intentions. The elder son blamed his father, saying, this your son, all these years I have served you, slaved you, and never once disobeyed any order of yours. Yet you never offered me so much as a kid for me to celebrate with my friends. But when this your son, he did not say this my brother, this your son, came back after swallowing up your property, he and his loose woman, you killed the offended calf. In order, brothers, sisters, the older brother returned and your father slaughtered his fattened calf because he found him safe. The servant said, your brother returned. The elder son answered the father. This your son, the father replied to his son, this your brother, and for me and for you, who is that man who dilapidated his father? Is he his son, or he is this your brother, is the repentant man, this my brother, this my brother, yes. Oh, I feel angry because the father had him back alive and found him back, restored back to him 
his dignity. The attitude of the father to his elder son, this your brother, how generous are we towards our converted brother. Let us consider that Jew to be the converted brother. How do we behave towards the father who rejoiced for his son's return alive and towards ourselves? I consider that as a question open to all of us. How do we act in front of the compassionate father, in front of his goodness to a man who dilapidated his way? It's a question opened to everyone of you. Thank you. Thank you, Sayedna. Thank you so much for your time and being with us today and for your beautiful insights. There's an anonymous question coming in that I'm going to kind of interpret a little bit to make it maybe a little more clear. But does the attitude of the elder son possibly reflect his attitude all of his life, serving his father out of duty uh, and actually in his heart himself becoming prodigal, squandering his father's love. Does that does that make sense, Sayyidina? Yes. I think the elder son never faced the possibility of the return of his brother. This was a great surprise for him. He thought in the beginning that he came back dead. And when we have a young man or young woman die when they are dead, unmarried, we celebrate as if to compensate them for the lost wedding. So he did not face that situation before. He was facing the temptation of either welcoming his brother or refusing him. He refused him because he wanted all the wealth of his father. Can you explain that again a little bit about the compensating for the loss of the wedding? Yeah. Well, here in the village, when some young man dies, he's 23, 30, 35, the time he gets wed, and he was not married for some reason. The family would celebrate his funeral with songs of wedding so as to compensate him for what he should have had if he were married. Is that clear? Yeah. If all of our time together, that that few seconds, and such a beautiful insight, Sayedna, that you have into the Holy Land. Um, and living there in these in the places where Jesus actually taught this is so it's just amazing for us. That's right. why the son asked the servants, "What's going on on my father's house? What are all these rejoicing?" He must have thought that his brother came back dead, and they are celebrating his funeral with songs of uh, joy. But when he knew that his father, his brother, was coming back alive, everything turned upside down. He became jealous, he became envious, he despised his father as if he were Sinai. Wow. Yeah, uh, incredible insight. Abuna, your connection to the people of Christ's time, of course, uh, is is very insightful in this. Um, Gordon, up here on screen, uh, if you're still with, yeah, go ahead and uh, and jump in here. Father, question I have regards, you said something about the, the little people or the people that God has chosen um, to represent him. You know, I remember hearing a term, Anawim. I wonder if you could provide a little bit more insight into that with regard to, um, you know, both Mary and the um, parable that you presented. 
Anawim in the Bible means exactly the poor, but the poor in God, those who are eager to get to know God better. One of the Anawim was Helder Kamara, another was Oscar Romero, another was the last popes were all Anawim. We're all hungry to know about God. And maybe one among us is a Anawi. And Mary consider herself as one of those little ones who is not worthy. But God has chosen her because of her littleness. Yeah. Sayyidina, uh, Jessica is writing and asking, um, she was struck by the idea that Elizabeth uh, sang to, to Mary. Uh, when she visited. And I think this is another point of understanding the Middle Eastern culture. And she asked the question, do we know if Mary would have sung her Magnificat? Absolutely. I don't think that Mary would be shy to answer the welcome of Elizabeth with kind of what I did read, read things. No meaning. The, he shouted, she sang here. Magnificat. Absolutely. This is what we do still here. I remember my, my, my mother of good memory. At every occasion, when my uncle used to come from Jerusalem to Upper Galilee, this almost 200 kilometers, it's a surprise. We had no telephone, had no buses, no taxis. He come on the donkey or on the back of a camel. So when he comes in the house, it is such a surprise. She burst out with singing his welcome so that the neighbors can hear and can come to greet the guests. Sayyidina, we have another question coming in uh, asking, you know, the, someone identifying with the father in the parable, uh, asking for those who have sons who no longer speak to us, so maybe who don't have this opportunity uh, how should what should they pray for? How should they, you know, approach that difficulty, that challenge? I think that the first thing should be that we pray for ourselves to be liberated from hatred, from wanting to take revenge, from wanting to deprive the one who is away from what we are, what we have. It's our love. You know, each one has his own situation. The main problem is. We, we need to, for, to remember that the one who is with us, as well as the one who is far away, are our children. They are entrusted to us by God. We are not allowed to hate them, to despise them, to deprive them from our affection. We need to get free from hatred. It is so easy for me to hate the Jews who destroyed my father's house. It's so easy to hate the soldiers who expelled us from our village. But what would I gain? I would always nurture, nurture hate in my heart, and they would not mind. So I liberated myself from hating. I want to return back. You know, our story is very strange. We were kicked out in 1951. We are deprived from going building our homes. It was destroyed by the Israeli army. But we still say to the Israelis, we love you so much. You hurt us so much. We don't come back alive. We will come back even dead. One of my elder cousins died in America. 
he wished to be buried in the cemetery of our village. We carried him from there to the village. My grand-grand-niece was to be married last June. She said to her father, I want to be married in the church where you were baptized, in the church of our destroyed village. She came back with her future husband, with their relatives who all came back, and I celebrated the wedding in our destroyed village. This was a prophetical act. If we don't come back alive, we'll come back dead. And one day, the dried bones will gain back life. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Sayedna, for being with us today. Your Grace, if um, any last words that you would like to share with us or to pray with us before, we're, uh, before we conclude our program today. Let us thank God for giving us so much for giving us abundantly in life, for protecting us from hatred, for providing us with friends. Let us pray, God. I pray you, Lord. Give us the courage to say the word of truth in the face of mighty people. Lord, give us the courage never to flatter the poor in order to win their applause. Give us, Lord, to put joy where there is despair, to nurture the smile of hope in the hearts of children who are abandoned, who live in this cold weather without any shelter. Their cover is the sky and their bed is the earth. Lord, we ask you to care for them and to give us to know if we can do anything to help them. They are our brothers. They are your sons. They are not prodigal. They are victims of each other. Let us, Lord, pray to be persecuted than to be persecutors. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this program from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Remember to download our app and share our online library with friends, co-workers, and family members. To learn more, get involved, and support the Institute's work, visit instituteofcatholicculture.org and visit us on social media.